Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Last week, Josh um, gave a great word on the promises of God. Uh, over 3,000 promises in the Bible. 3,000 plus recorded in the Bible. And I have the privilege and honour to continue with that subject. 3,000 promises. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. I'm going to start reading it from number one. And I think we should be finished by six. So, uh, no, obviously, I'm not, I can't uh, start reading all the promises. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think, as Josh said, we've perhaps lost, uh, in this culture, we've lost what a promise means. For example, if Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn were stood on this platform here and said to you, I promise that I will deliver Brexit and you'll all be better off. If you doubt that promise, just give me a wave. Yeah, quite a few. What about the salesman in his flashy suit? If he says, if you give me your hard-earned money, I promise I will invest it in your 50% return in 12 months. Are you likely to doubt that promise? Yeah, yeah. What about the preacher? who stands on the platform and says, I promise I'll be finished in 30 minutes. Uh, uh, would you doubt that, that? Well, I'm not making any promises this morning, so just make yourself comfortable. Buckle up, get comfy. I was reminded preparing this sermon um, <laughs> about my son, Simon. When he was about six or seven, he used to love playing football. And I'd come home from work, I'd feel really tired, and uh, he used to say, Dad, Dad, after dinner, can we play football? And I say, yes, I suppose so. He said, do you promise, Dad? Do you promise? And that put me in an awkward position because if I said yes, that meant I would have to go and play football with him, no matter how tired I was. And if I said no, he'd be crestfallen. Oh, Dad. So I discovered a word that I thought got me off the hook. So he used to come and say, Dad, Dad, can we play football? Can we play football after dinner, Dad? And I'd say, Maybe. And it drove him to distract. No, dad, dad, dad. Not maybe, dad. I can remember driving in the car. I can just see his face now in the rear view mirror. And he was saying, can we go? I said, mate, dad, not maybe, not maybe. Yes or no. That's what I want to hear, dad. Yes or no. Not maybe. Let me tell you, there are no maybes in the kingdom of God. Yes or no. So let's get this verse up, the key verse up, and we'll read this together. It's from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The 3,000 plus promises made by God are yes in Christ, not maybe. And so through Jesus, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, amen is a powerful word. Sometimes we just throw out an amen, we say a prayer and say amen. As though it's the finish of something. When really it's the start of something. It should be the start of something. Now the Hebrew word, the root word for amen, it means certainty. It means truth. It means so be it. So be it. For those of you who are of a certain generation... You may remember Jean-Luc Picard of the starship USS Enterprise, who's, who made famous a phrase of saying, make it so, number one. And that's what this is like. When we say amen, it's amen, yes, so be it, make it so. 
There's power in the word of amen. And sometimes we've just relegated it to just say, oh, amen. It's not the finish of a prayer. It's the start of something. So the promises of God are yes through Jesus. And through Jesus, we activate the promise by declaring, so be it, to the glory of God. Always to the glory of God, not to the glory of us. It's not for our glory, for God's glory. So if you need a breakthrough, if you need hope, confidence, a change of circumstances, healing, comfort, provision, a relationship restored, children blessed, a loved one rescued. God's promises have the power to do all that, to calm the storms, to bring a blessing out of the wilderness. You see, when God formed man out of the rich clay of the earth and breathed life into him, and then from Adam's rib made Eve, God blessed this couple with his very presence. Just as an aside, do you know why God made woman from Adam's rib? So they will always be close. The woman will always be close to the man's wallet. Uh, heart, sorry. I meant, heart, I meant heart. Sorry. Always close to the man's heart. See, God used to love to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. But when sin ripped Adam and Eve away from God's holy grasp, although God was hurt by this betrayal, God graciously gave them his promises. Promises of redemption, promises of his enduring love. He showered promises on his creation because he loves us. He loves us so much that when he sent Jesus Christ to die a painful death on that cross whilst we were still sinners so that we could access his promises. His promises through Christ so that our amen, our so be it God, activates his promises. We heard last week that God is not just a promise maker, but he is a promise keeper. God's promises are all about one thing. They're all about bringing you closer to him. All about bringing you closer to him. I read this in the Bible. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What a promise that is. That was a promise to me. When I was a sinner. When I was living a life and I wasn't living it well. And I read that. And it, it registered in my mind, but it dropped into my heart as well. That was a promise for me. Oh, I'm adopted. I'm a sin. I'm a son. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. What a promise. And I said amen to that. And I meant it. And I read that and understand it. And although it was written thousands of years ago, the promise is for me and for you now, here, right here, right now. But there is an enemy, the father of lies, Satan, the devil, who does not want you in any kind of close relationship with God and certainly doesn't want you to gain access to God's promises. That is why it is so important to read the word to read the word of God and understand his promises so we can use the promises against the enemy. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he shall flee. He has no option. If you submit to God, resist the devil, he shall flee. That's a great promise. Now you may be sat there thinking, well, that's all right for you, but I'm just an ordinary bloke or just an ordinary woman. What can I do? 
What can I achieve? How can I activate God's promises in my life? A good question to ask. As Jose explained last week, God's promises come alive in our lives when we first read them through the Bible, through the Word. Jesus is the living Word. The first chapter of the book of John in the New Testament starts with this declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the living word. So when we read the Bible, Jesus helps us to understand it. Now, I know that some people may have difficulty reading the Bible. But can I say, just give you some practical advice. There's apps now you can get on your phone. Every day you can get an app on your phone that will read the Bible to you. Wow. And it's free. As long as you get that word into your life, as long as you're understanding what God is trying to say to you, as long as you begin to read the promises or hear the promises of God, also, I'd give you practical advice. Join a small group. When you get together with people and just open the Bible up and start looking at it and going deeper, there's something that happens to the Word of God in your life that comes alive. You can read the words on the page, but something happens in your heart. It becomes alive. It's exciting, life-changing. So this morning, I want to share a story about an ordinary woman. She'd be in her, in her 20s when this story starts, and... And hopefully, I just want to show you how she accessed God's promises. How the life she lived opened up the door for God to bless her. How she positioned herself in such a way to enable God to pour out his favour on her life. So many people miss out on God's promises and blessings because they do not place themselves in the right position to receive God's blessing. I mean, Josh mentioned it last, last week. You know, if you go into the nightclub and you know, you're, you're drinking too much, you're taking drugs, you're having casual sex, then don't come to me or Josh and the leadership saying, well, I, I, God never seems to bless me. I'm not saying you've got to be a, a nun or a monk. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying just be careful how you position yourselves and what you do so that you want to be in a position where you can be blessed by God. So meet with people who want to be blessed by God. Keep coming and gathering uh, to church with people who want to be blessed by God. Keep opening up the word of God so you understand that you can be in a position where you can be blessed by God. Keep looking out for God's promises and make that declaration. Amen. Yes. So be it. This promise is one for me. As I said, the devil, Satan, will try his best to stop you from positioning yourself in such a place where you can be blessed. He will do anything and everything to knock you off balance. And sometimes it's just a nudge. Sometimes it's just that nudge, just to get you off balance so you don't hear and you don't understand what God is saying to you. That's why it's so important to meet together so people can say, are you okay? Yeah, walk alongside me. I'll help you when you get nudged. I'll keep that balance for you. This book, this Bible, is alive with promises. But you need to read it yourself. I can stand here this morning in all honesty and say that I have grasped hold of some of the promises that God has given me in my life. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was given to me all many years ago when I was a baby Christian. And I stood on that. I heard it. Dropped into my heart. I live it. It's a promise from God. So when going gets tough, when I don't know what to do, God, I know you said to me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthen me now, God. Strengthen me now for what I'm going through. Strengthen me now for when the, the, when the storms break. 
I built my life on the rock. You must have heard that story. Rather than on the sand. So that when the wind and waves, storms of life, when problems come knocking on the door, trying to break down that door, I can stand firm and say, God, my foundation is firm on you, Christ. Let the wind come. Let the waves come. They're not going to shift me. They're not going to move me. Because your promises are yes and amen through Christ. I built my house on the rock. You see, this Bible is a gold mine with real nuggets of promises and wisdom and life. Sometimes you have to dig deeper, though. You have to spend time digging into the promises of God. You cannot pinch someone else's promises. You'll never get rich in the word unless you mine it yourself. You cannot piggyback on my promises. You need to find your own. Let me just remind you what happened in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. God created man. and In chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Say 16 and 17. Well, this is important, get this in order. God speaks with Adam and says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will eat of it, you shall surely die. Verses 16 and 17. Verse 18, God creates Eve. Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent, the devil, Satan, speaks to the woman and says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, yes, God did say that. Well, how did she hear about that? Because she wasn't even created when God spoke to Adam. So Adam must have said it to her. So she's heard this secondhand. She hadn't heard this from God. (sighs) Doubt came into her mind because she had heard it second hand. We know the result. She's persuaded, she's conned by the devil to eat the forbidden fruit and sin enters the world and that direct close relationship with God is broken. And that's why it's important for you to dig out your own promises from his word so that you hear it direct from God and not second hand from some preacher. Please hear what I'm saying here. Please don't base your life on anything I say to you. In fact, don't base your life on anything that the preacher says to you unless it's from the word of God. Because any, any preacher worth anything will always point you to the word of God, to the source of life. That's why we need to read it. So back to the story of this woman. This story can be found in the Old Testament, a book called Ruth. It's only four chapters long. So it's easy to sit down and read it. And I would encourage you to do that. When you get home this afternoon, when you're having a cup of tea, put your feet up, get the Bible out and read Ruth. And the story starts with the fact that there was a famine in the land. And you may ask, well, Where is God's promise in that? A famine coming into the land? Well, God had previously warned in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that the land itself would turn against them if they were unfaithful to him. So because of their unfaithfulness, because they no longer followed God and trusted him, a famine occurred. Not God's direct doing, but a direct result of man's unfaithfulness. So because of the famine, a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons left Bethlehem, Judah and went to live in the country of Moab. Now Moab is located east of what is now west central Jordan. And at that time, the national deity of the Moabites was Shemos, which meant destroyer, subduer or fish god. So Elimelech suddenly died and his two sons married women from Moab who would have heard and worshipped Chesmosh. We pick up the story. They lived in Moab for about 10 years when sadly both Naomi's sons died. 
Naomi decided to head back to Judah and she basically said to her two daughters-in-law, go home. I have nothing left. I'm too old to get another husband. I have nothing for you here, so go home. One daughter-in-law did that, but one called Ruth, who was now in the late 30s, said these words, and they're going to come up on the screen, hopefully. Said these words. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, God, not Shemos, may the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if even the death separates you and me. Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. What a declaration to make by this woman. The Bible does not go into any detail about the relationship Naomi had with Ruth, but it becomes obvious that Ruth must have thought a lot about Naomi. She must have been impressed with the way that Naomi lived. She must have been impressed with what Naomi must have said about her God. She was willing to cast aside, cast aside the Moabite God, Shemos, and follow the one true God, Yahweh. And we must understand that there's a different culture in those days. So there was no NHS, there was no job seekers allowance or housing benefits, universal credit. All there was was family. That's all you had to rely on, family. Naomi had lost her husband, lost her two sons. She had no family now. She was alone, no money, no home. Where's God's promises in that? When she watched her husband died, when she watched her two sons die, where was God's promises in that? They were there, patiently waiting to be activated. We live in a broken world. The world is broken. We understand that. So where's God's promises? Just waiting patiently, waiting to be activated, waiting to be accessed. They returned to Bethlehem. Just at the beginning of barley harvest, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go into the fields and glean to pick up the leftover grain. Now you need to understand this. There was no national health, as I've said. But they had laws. So in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 says this. This was a law that they put in place. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, leftovers. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. So that's what Ruth is going to do. I'm going to pick the story up again in chapter 2, verse 3. There's a point here I want to make because it's so easy to miss. It says these. So she, Ruth, went out, entered a field and began to glean, pick up the leftovers behind the harvesters. As it turned out, if you follow in your Bible, just underline that. If you're just listening... Underline it mentally. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. In the New King James Verse, it says, she happened to come to the part of the field. This was no coincidence. This was no coincidence. This is part of God's promise. Ruth had made a declaration, your God will be my God. She started to position herself. She hadn't just sat down and said, oh God, send me your promises. Let them just fall into my lap. She got up. 
She'd gone out to find work. She was doing work, picking up barley grain in the field, back-breaking work, hot and thirsty work, but God had seen her heart attitude and placed her in a position where she could be blessed. Ruth had made a promise to Naomi. Even when the going got tough, she kept her promise. A stranger in a foreign land, far from home, she still kept her promise to stay and care for Naomi. She was loyal. She had a servant heart. She was in a position now where God could bless her. The story goes on and explains that the field that Ruth was working in belonged to Boaz, who was a relative, and Boaz was a godly man. That is not a coincidence. This is God position. This is part of God's promises. This is just an ordinary woman living out an ordinary life, but positioning herself in a position where she can be blessed by God. What a coincidence. When you trust God, I have found coincidence keep on happening. <laughs> when I don't trust him, they seem to stop. That's a coincidence. Hmm. Read chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Let's just continue on. So Boaz approaches Ruth and tells her not to glean in any other field and to drink whenever she's thirsty. And this is what, she, this is what Ruth says to Boaz. At this, she, Ruth, bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland, brackets inserted by me, and your God. And you've left your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh, the promises of God working out in this woman's life. The story goes on that Ruth found favour in the eyes of Boaz. And to cut a long story short, there's so much in this story. I could preach on Ruth for days. Boaz went to see another man who was actually a closer relative, Naomi, and asked if he could, would buy back some land for Naomi. He didn't want to do that, so Boaz did what we would call a kinsman redeemer. He paid the price to secure a future for Naomi and took Ruth as his wife. Just as Jesus paid the price to save us, Boaz paid the price for Naomi and Ruth. And listen to what happens. You talk about the promises of God, waiting patiently. This is what happens. Ruth was married to Boaz and she bore a son called Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. A story of a young woman who was not from the chosen people, not a Jew or Israelite, but a woman who put her trust in God and she had obviously heard about from her mother-in-law, trusted in him. Through her, though her circumstances were tough, she was determined to get up, went to work in the fields, moved into a place where God could position her for blessing and now she plays a significant role in history. She is in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. What the promise? The promises are real. Very quickly, time is running out. In Ruth's case, just a few examples of God's promises working in her life. God restored those things she had lost. Joel 2 verse 25 says this, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten. 
Ruth lost her husband, her home, her family, but now she is restored. She is loved and cared for, remarried, has a son, a future. God provided her with food and shelter. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What a great promise, promise fulfilled. Now Ruth had peace and prosperity and she had a good reputation, a good name. Ruth had a good name because she trusted in God and her name will live on and on in history. Ruth, just a normal woman, trusting in the supernatural God, a woman who was faithful, loving, and kept her promise to Naomi. This woman was showered with and blessed by the promises of God. Would the musicians just come up and just play something? I'm just going to finish now. The word of God, alive, just waiting, full of promises of God, just waiting to be, those promises waiting to be activated by us through Christ, our Amen. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance just means just turning away from the lifestyle you are living and turning towards God and saying, help me live your way, Jesus. I know that in this Bible there are numerous promises for you. For everyone here this morning, whether it's your first time at church or whether you've been coming for years, Romans 14, 11, 12 says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge me. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God and on that day, some people will bow their knee in fear and trembling and say, what have I done? Oh, What have I done with my life? What a waste. Chasing after money. Chasing after power. Chasing after stuff. What a waste. What do I have to show for my life now? And some people will bow their knee in adoration and worship and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for showing me true life. Thank you for your promises. Amen. Let's just bow our heads, shall we? Let's just bow our heads and just close our eyes just to give people a a sense of privacy at this time.